depending on the needs of your home. For instance, um, you might have, you might focus on a specialty, you might need more staff, but that's part of your payroll and that's something that you need to forecast into your um, estimated budgets when you're putting together your assisted living home. And you look at it, you say Stephanie mentioned um, a caregiver at night. Well, is that caregiver sleeping? or resting, or are they fully awake and functioning and doing different things to prepare for the next day? That is in your policies and procedures. And um, you have to abide by that. We feel that the values of our home are greatly increased by being able to say to our potential residents, we're 24 seven, we're awake, we're attentive, and here to help you. You're listening to The Azria Show, if you're looking for quality real estate investing information that you can trust, you've found it. Stay tuned and join the tens of thousands of members that have already benefited from Azria, your home for education, market information, support, and networking opportunities that will advance your real estate investing career. Hello, Azria Show listeners. Welcome to another show. Today, we are excited to have very special guests, which are subgroup members of our ALH Homes, which is Assisted Living Homes. So we have Stephanie Wambi and Linda Johnson. So today we're going to talk about Assisted Living Homes, and we're also going to talk about short-term rental homes. So if you're interested, which you should be, you definitely need to grab your pen, your paper, and your iPad, and get ready to take some notes because we're going to dive into this, and I know that they're going to provide some quality content for you. So without any further delay, Stephanie, Linda, Mike, welcome to the show. How are you guys? We're awesome today. It's a beautiful Arizona day. Yes, yes. great weather. <laughs> sweet, sweet. It's where you want to be right now. Yes. And then also we have my co-host, uh, Mike Del Preet on the show. So we'll be bouncing some questions off of you guys. And I really want you to kind of be, you know, as specific as possible because we want people to be able to take away some action items on today. Okay. Absolutely. Let's do perfect, it. Perfect. So Stephanie, Linda, whoever want to go first, give us a little bit of background about you. How long you've been in a real estate investor? How long you've been here in the state of Arizona? And what are you looking to do and looking to accomplish as a real estate investor? Well, I guess I will start first. I'm the young pup when it comes to <laughs> real estate investing. My husband uh, dragged me to an educational event after reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. It's a great book. And we went to that educational opportunity and just fell in love with it and got started. So we actually started our journey in 2019 and we started with a short-term rental. We had a second property up in the Flagstaff area and decided to put it on Airbnb. Since then, Mm -hmm. uh, we have now three properties and uh, they're going great. And it's wonderful additional income for a side hustle that we have. And so I am the newbie. I have lived in Arizona most of my life, just a short stint in Atlanta, Georgia. But other than that, I've been here my whole life. So I know the area pretty well as well. And then Linda, Linda's got the bulk of the experience here. So I'll let her go. No, but Stephanie's a smarter one. (laughs) All right. right. (laughs) No, I am a three generation native of Arizona, primarily in Mesa. That's where my roots are. And I have been in real estate since about 1994. Started with a rental property. 
And then we built our own three-level, 4,000-square-foot house. I was a subcontractor. My brother-in-law is a builder, and so I used all of his subs. But I was able to build that house in six months because I was just on the subcontractors all the time and keeping things going the way they should be. We acquired some rentals after that. And then in about 2006, we decided we'd try this thing called flipping. Mm, So since 2006, my husband and I, he is the contractor and can build the house house from the ground up. At that point, I was not a real estate agent. So we started flipping and just acquired subs as we found them. And to date, we are on number 41 on our flips over the last 17 years, 16, 17 years. So we've done that steadily along the way um, because that has provided us income or chunks of money to help further our other investment opportunities uh, along the way. So currently I am a real estate agent. I've been an agent for 10 years. The reason why I became an agent is because when we were looking for flips, I had agents working for me, but they tell me, oh, we can get you into a house tomorrow. Well, I needed to see that house in an hour. Yeah. So my husband said, you've just got to get your real estate license. So um, start to finish six weeks, I was licensed and working awesome. a full-time job. Perfect. Perfect. So we had. And that, and that even we- made me think of the fact that my husband's a general contractor as well. So that's really awesome. it, it kind of a jump start into it. it. You know, it really helps when that with that with that second property that we bought, he gutted it and started it up or built it up again from scratch. So it worked out really great. So we awesome. I think the combination, we have a little right. bit of experience behind us, and then we have our husbands in the background that have the knowledge and expertise as well. That's right. Put awesome. the pretty faces up front, right? <laughs> We're building those teams, you know. Yes. We're trying yeah. to build that team of what we need in order to be successful. Well, that's well, it sounds like it sounds like once once you realize that you want to do something, you guys take action. Yes, very much so. That's our <laughs> just our personality, which does help as an investor to have that mindset. Very much so. Great. And also not the fear of failing. That's such a big thing in this in this industry because you're going to fail. Things are going to happen. Things are not going to be perfect. I don't know of any I feel that is perfect. I have failed, and I'm proud to say that I failed. And I'll tell you that towards the end of the podcast, why it's important to fail. Okay. Okay. So we have Airbnb, we have contractors, we have flippers, we have assisted uh, living homes, we have agents. You guys are just kind of doing everything. You're you're running the gambit, plus you're running the subgroup for Azria. Uh, You ladies seem to be a little bit unstoppable. (laughs) it's called diversification if you're in stock market you don't put all your money in one stock if you're in the the bitcoins you don't put it all into one bucket you diversify and that is super important and that's what we're trying to do absolutely a must um, as i've seen it i've taken a lot of opportunities to acquire education through azria which is my foundation azria is my foundation for my success i believe my um, ability to be a go-getter is also very helpful. But Azria has provided me with opportunities and classes to learn different avenues of investing, whether it be multifamily, land, self-storage, assisted living, Mm -hmm. uh, flips, buy and holds, 
I've taken a little bit of education on all of these avenues. So when the opportunity arises for me, I am able to act. Love it. Perfect. That's great. Yeah, I can attest to, to Ezri as well. That's great. Man. Oh, love it. So, so if I could ask, so what does your business relationship look like? Are you guys doing the assisted living together or you guys just both do it separately? <laughs> no. Yes. I'm going to say yes. Okay. Yes. 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 Okay. So we actually met each other at one of those educational events that Linda was just talking about because we just got started talking and we realized we're in the same area and she had just finished the manager's course for the assisted living homes. And I had a desire to do the same. So we're both fully licensed to be managers within Mm -hmm. that assisted living area, which encompasses, you know, background in the healthcare area. And um, also doing both the manager license and the caregiver license. So it just, she had just finished it. I was interested in it. She shared the information. Since then, because she is my realtor as well, we have been looking for properties and uh, just trying to find that right one for us. Got it. So kind of talking about the assistant living, because I'm going to go back and we're going to talk about financing also. But since we're on the assistant living What's the process? So if someone wanted to get started and they say, you know what, I have a chunk of change, I have some money, and I have the heart and the passion to help people, and I want to go into assistant living, what would be the process? Because you guys have been through the process. So help those listeners out that want to know exactly how to get started. Well, go ahead. (laughs) Primarily, you need to get some education. And there are educational sources out there that we've been through that you have to know a little bit about the industry and how to care for these residents. You also need to have a caring heart and really not make it a business transaction, but more of something that you're really interested and love to do and have a passion for. That would, to me, would be the first thing. The second thing is, is decide where you're going to be, what area of the United States, because this is, can be done anywhere, and then zero in on the city And there's three magical things that you look for when you're looking in a particular city. The first one is going to be the price point of the home, which needs to be in in Phoenix, needs to be about 525 to 550. So you want an area that has a nicer uh, Mm -hmm. middle to upper type home. Second thing is, is you want to check the demographics of that area. What is the age of the 50% of the population? You're going to want them to be the middle age to senior so that you know you have the audience. And then the third thing is that you want to make sure that the income for that particular zip code does lean towards paying for a resident to live in a home. Okay. So I use those things first. So, and I'm going to add or piggyback off of what she said, because I, I look at it as it depends. So if you are bringing the money to the table, maybe you want to be more of a silent partner. Maybe you want to um, in, have the money that you're investing and have some say in it, but you don't want to be running the assisted living home. You don't want to be doing the day-to-day operations. Mm-hmm. So that's where if you have the money, that's where you can come in and still invest and make quite a bit of profit. Whereas then maybe you want to come in and, you know, be more involved. You can do that as well. Both Linda and I took the avenue of we want to be more involved, especially at first. We want to learn the process. We really want to make sure that the the team that we're building knows what they're doing. And we don't want them to, I guess you call it, pull the wool over our eyes. 
We want to know what the expectations are and if they have some concerns that they bring it to us and then we can address it for them. So it just, it, to me, it depends on how you want to invest and how involved you want to be. That's a good point. Um, one thing for the listeners or someone new to this idea, I know when I was get the shiny object syndrome, it's like, oh, assisted living, you can make 10 grand a month per bed and yes. one, whatever it is. It's so exciting as a new investor and it could be very attractive. However, what I would like everyone to understand is when you're going into Airbnb, short-term rentals, assisted living, you're changing the use of the property, right? And, you're, and like, if you're going to Airbnb, you're now in the hospitality business, mm-hmm. whereas, whereas now you, I don't know what business it would be called for assisted living. It's hospitality um, as well. It's, hospitality, it's also healthcare. Mm-hmm. Healthcare, hospitality. Yeah, so yes. now when you brought up a good point, it's either A, you could bring the money in and invest with somebody, right? Or you're going to have to be an operator. So if you want to be a landlord, it's a different, it's a different ball game. Correct. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I, so I you know, I, I tried to jump into one of those when two years into the business and I didn't realize everything. Well, and that's what's great about having this group because we provide the networking opportunity. We bring other investors that are interested in this same um, area or line of business. And we talk about it. We get together mm-hmm. once a month, second Wednesday of the month, and we have conversations about what's going on. What is everybody working on? So it's a great opportunity to network. We also try to have at least one speaker so that we can bring an educational component to each of our meetings. And then also, I, I look at it this way of mentoring. You know, I, I look at Linda as part of my mentor. You know, she's been in this longer. She's done more. And But then I also look at me as a co-facilitator of the group that I can also mentor others. And so I think it's a, it's a little give and take. We All of us are in different stages of our assisted living home's journey. And we can all help each other out. One thing I wanted to mention, in assisted living, it is a great financial opportunity. It is a great opportunity to give back to the community. As an investor, for example, I own a 10-bed assisted living property. And I have a business that leases from my property. It is a 10-bed assisted living home. And so I am a landlord and I do receive rent. The rent is generally about twice the amount rather than having a residential family or a home like that. So that is an avenue that you can go and still have great streams of income. Or you can become a business owner and own a residential assisted living home and have it in a residential home. So you can do different streams of income, streams of sources, depending on what you want to do. Okay. So I I come to your subgroup and I say, you know what? I'm really interested in assistant living homes and I want to get started. What are some of the legal and by no means are we lawyers or anything like that. So this is just a quick disclaimer. What is the process for getting a home license to get that use permit? in order to turn it from a residential property to a AHL. Is that, is that right? Am I saying that? Yes. 
So actually, there's a, a couple of different ways to do that. Uh, I mean, you can hire experts that can help walk you through all those steps. Also with the education that these educational programs that we've been talking about, if you go to those, they'll, they usually cover those topics. You know, you need a good bookkeeper, a good CPA, good tax person. You need to make sure that you file your house correctly, build that corporation or LLC, et cetera. And, you know, you're probably going to want the business in a separate one just because you want to cover your asset. You know, there's nothing worse than having something go wrong, you're sued, and then you lose everything that you've worked so hard to build on. So it's really good to make sure that you are covered. And we are definitely not experts in that area, but we all, we do have that coverage that we need. And there's, there's different sources that you can use in order to get those. So so once I, I was telling you about identifying a good area. Let's say you identify a home that you think would be a good home for an assisted living. You're going to probably need a real estate agent. And once you go into the home, you say, yeah, we could move and make some changes in the home and make it a great assisted living home. Well, there may be one already in place two doors down. So the city has guidelines. Right now, the guidelines is they can be no closer than a quarter of a mile. So then you need to go through planning and zoning and find out if that home is eligible to be in that location and operate as an assisted living home. So that's the first thing that you need to do. Then you would go through your construction process and uh, make those changes and then licensing with the Department of Health. And let me tell you, as, as someone that's been looking for a home, you go out and you search And you think you found the perfect home. Linda has been part of our endeavors with that. And you go and you map out, oh, we can make these changes and and we can add bathrooms here because that's super important, by the way. You want to make sure that if you can at all have as many bathrooms as you have bedrooms. The the ROI on that is just months in comparison to not having it. And then you'll, you'll return a higher profit from that um, when you have a bathroom per bedroom. But back to my information. So We've been looking around for homes. We we think we found the perfect home. And then you get on the phone with the city because you have to start there. Mm-hmm. And you find out that, no, you can't do it because your house is too close to another one. And so that can be very frustrating. And that's why it's I think it's so important that you have someone like Linda on your team um, when you're building that team. She is a realtor. She understands that. She always reminds us about that. And a lot of times where we find that house, we'll go look at like five houses and we're like, okay, this is the one we want. Okay, well, we call it and it's like, oh, you can't do that one. Okay, um, if, I could, if I could jump in. I, so when, when you do identify a house, is your is the due diligence phase long enough? Like, do you have enough time to figure out all the, if this house fits the proper requirements? Do you like lock the house up first, get an inspection period, then do your research? Or do, do you no, kind of know before? No, we, we've actually been doing it on the front end. So okay. when we're out looking at the houses, I get on the phone right there, depending on the city. I mean, I have all of them on speed dial in my phone right now. Got it. Because got it. you have to be able to know right away. The hard part is, is if you're doing it on the weekend, obviously the city is not open on the weekend. Yep. So then we save those yep. calls for Monday. And then the other thing too is, is if you do find that house, you want to ask that city, what is the process that I can do to put a hold on that so that no one else jumps in and buys a house three doors down or on the next block? Because that's important. Whether or not you, you know, you put a couple hundred dollars down uh, just to hold it, that is so critical because you do not want somebody sneaking up behind oh, you. So you could, that, okay. That so you call really the city. Hurt you. 
and you say, Hey, I like this house. They're like, Hey, this is it. You can do it here. And you can put a deposit down and say, Hey, I might buy this. Don't let anybody come around me. Correct. And it's not really a deposit. Yeah. You have to put an application in. It's a certificate of occupancy is what it's Mm -hmm. called. And so generally an email chain will secure your position short term. Mm-hmm. until you get further along in the process and decide that this is the home that you want to purchase. So there is a way to secure that. You can also go to Google Maps and you can say assisted living homes in 85024 and it'll populate the larger ones, which is what your competition is. Because if you have an assisted living home licensed for five, you are not a competition as far as this quarter of a mile. Hmm. So, you know, that's, that's what we look at is is trying to locate the ones around us. And so that'll get you through a pinch until you can actually get confirmation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, let's take a brief break. Okay. Hear a word from our sponsors. And when we come back, I want to talk about some of the changes that need to be made in a home and like generally the size of the home. Cause yes. could a three bedroom, two bath work or does it need to be five bedrooms, four baths? So that when we come, <laughs> yeah. So when we come back, we'll, we'll kind of dive into that. Thank you. A supporter of today's Azria show is Azria Business Associate, Boomerang Capital Partners. They're coined as the best flipping lender, providing financing solutions to help fund your next fix and flip project. For more information, visit boomerangcapital.com. All right. So we are back and we have with Stephanie Wambi and Linda Johnson. And we're talking about assistant living homes right here in Arizona. She run the subgroup for Azria and they have plenty of educational content, resources, and the connections in order for you to get started with an assistant living home if you so desire. So what we've been asking them on today is the process of how to get started. And now we're going to go into Basically, what do we need to look for in a home and what changes need to be made in a home in order to make that home suitable for their residents? So guys, if you want to touch on that, ladies, what should we look for in that home? We talked about the demographics. We talked about the city guidelines. We talked about the price for the home. What do we need to do inside of the home to make it suitable? Because we know that the city has to come in and grant that occupancy, correct? Correct. So let's just take one step back real quick. So in order to make this really profitable for you, you're going to want at least 10 beds. That's the most that you can do in the state of Arizona. And some of the cities like Chandler will not allow more than seven at this point. No one's at least tried to push it past that. So in order to be profitable and make it work for you, you're going to want at least that 10 beds. But as far as the conversion, as I mentioned earlier, if you can make a bathroom and it just has to be a half bath, a, a toilet and a, and a sink, if you can have a half bath for every room you have, you're going to secure a higher income per resident mm. when you do cool. that. Okay. Um, so that's really important. And just know that when we're doing this, we're looking at private pay. We don't want to deal with Medicare. We don't want to deal with all techs. That's just a lot of paperwork, a lot of extra work. And to be honest, they don't pay, they don't reimburse as well. So yeah. you really want to, you, you want to make your house shine. You want to be in the upper echelon of what assisted living homes look like so that you can bring in that top dollar. And there are different levels that you can look at depending, as Linda mentioned earlier, price point, also location, what you offer in the home. You know, if you want to be in that upper area, 
you're going to offer additional services. Maybe you bring a chef in part of the day to come in and cook the meals. Mm. That could be uh, an extra benefit, Um, depending. And then also what you offer in the room. Maybe you even create a a room that's set up for somebody to come in and do salon items, you know, hairstyles. Maybe somebody that can come in and trim beards on the gentlemen that are there so that they don't have to do that. That's just an additional revenue source for you. So it depends on what you want. I know for me, for my husband and I, we are looking at least 3,000 or higher we would prefer 4,000 square feet of a home because we want to be able to convert. We want to make 10 individual bedrooms, if at all possible, with 10 bathrooms. Plus in, in this industry, they call it a biggie bathroom. You need at least one big bathroom that where you can go in and a caregiver can help with the yes. um, activity of daily living, which okay. is showering or bathing. You know, maybe you have a walk-in tub. Maybe you have an ADA sized bathroom with the bars so that you can get somebody in there and help them shower because you're going to encounter that at some point because there are three levels of and actually i guess if you had memory memory care there'd be four levels of care you've got your and actually five if you count independent living but we're not really working in the independent living area so then you start out with supervisory care where there's the least amount of care that somebody needs it's more of maybe like medication management then you step up and you go to personal care where a person might need some help with those activities of daily living. Uh, I think there's what, like 15 of them. And so maybe somebody needs help with three. Maybe they need help with bathing. Maybe they need help with getting dressed and maybe with those medications. And then the next step up from that is directed. And that's usually somebody that's um, less ambulatory, needs more care, needs probably most, if not all of the help with the activities of daily living in order to um, make it through a day. And, and then after that, you even have memory care. Um, and I then you even have hospice. So you've got, <laughs> you've got a lot of opportunities. So, so as an investor, my first thing, you mentioned something private pay versus um, maybe a healthcare provider insurance, right. was it? So mm-hmm. can right. you maybe explain to listeners the difference and I have a follow-up question, but the difference between the two and why you choose private pay. Okay. Do you want to take that? Sure. So private pay is people have saved their 401ks, their assets, will support them in a monthly payment for assisted living. The other thing is long-term care insurance. And the generation that is needing our services now, there is quite a bit of of interest and people that have the long-term care. So you have Mm -hmm. private private pay, long-term care insurance. Those are the ones that you're looking for. Stephanie referred to Altex, which is a state program. Mm-hmm. So they will oftentimes contribute, but in the homes that we're wanting to invest in, it's probably not going to be a good fit. Okay. Got it. Yeah. So is there, so I'm thinking like a landlord, right? So, and I know it can be expensive for some families, right? So I know there's a demographic you're reaching towards, but what if someone can't pay or like, what's that process look like? So if or somebody, somebody comes sorry. to your home and they're interested in it and they just can't afford it, it's not in their budget then I would hope that because of our servant attitude, our servant caring hearts, that we would lead them to another home that would be more suited for them, that would fit within their budget. Absolutely. Okay. Got it. But what about in the event that they had the money initially coming in and I don't know, life changes, something, Mm -hmm. I don't know, some, the kids, Grandkids got a hold of grandma's bank account and took all of the money. What would you guys do in a situation like that? 
So every situation is different, but, but in most cases, I mean, we are running a business and mm -hmm. we need to make sure that we are profitable in order to maintain that. So gotcha. you, again, you would have to approach the family and let them know that, you know, it, it looks like the funding has run out and we will do our best to help you find another um, gotcha. home that is better suited for your parent or grandparent. Exactly. Oh. Okay. Right. And we talked about staffing because you have medication dispens dispensing. You have, again, those ADLs that need to be taken care of. Recreational activities, because I know they go like different places, go grocery shopping, things like that. Is that, do you hire the staff or do you outsource all of these jobs pretty much? So the more, if you want to be more profitable, you're going to hire the staff or you, actually your manager of the home is. So for us, we both have our manager licenses and we may start out as the manager in our homes when we're getting into the operational aspect of them. But the goal is, is to get uh, two to three homes and then have one manager that manages all two or three in order to be able to pay a higher salary to that manager. And that manager is then responsible for the hiring. They're also responsible for making sure that there's food. And, you know, especially with COVID and what's gone on, there are so many services available. You know, grocery uh, supermarkets will deliver, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. or you can order everything online and just go pick it up. It makes it very simple. As far as a staffing ratio with a 10, 10 bed resident residence, you're going to need at least two people during the daylight hours because the residents are usually awake. Somebody might be showering. Somebody might need help with toileting. Somebody might need help with getting dressed. And then the other one is backup, but also maybe prepare, helping prepare the meals if you don't have that chef or maybe helping with cleanup or whatever the residents need. Also craft time. You talked about the events that you can do. Well, you always want to have some kind of a, a fun craft or event that the, the residents can do. They might stay, they might wish to stay in their bedroom and watch TV or knit or something, but it's also important to have those activities because you want to have everybody feel like they're part of a home. You want to get them out of the room for a little bit, socialize and enjoy their day because the healthier your residents are, the longer they're going to stay yep. and the yep. more you're going to be profitable. So pretty important. I definitely understand because we run residential group homes for teens in Illinois. So some of the same criteria that you all need for the seniors is some of the things that we need in our residential group home for teens. You know, cooks, the quality staff, the managers, house managers, and everything like that. So that's the reason why I was kind of digging into to the staffing aspect. Okay. Cool. The majority of what is occurring in the home as far as activities, assisting seniors or whatever type of home you're going to have is dictated by the Department of Health Services. And there does need to be a manager. There's another discussion we can have as to how often the manager has to be there. But the manager keeps the caregivers on task and make sure that the care is, is the way it needs to be and meets the standard of the home. Okay, got it. And we talked so, earlier about two uh, caregivers during the day, and then you need at least one at night. And then depending on the needs of your home, for instance, um, you might have, you might focus on a specialty, you might need more staff, but that's part of your payroll. And that's something that you need to forecast into your um, estimated budgets when you're putting together your assisted living home. And you look at it, you say, Stephanie mentioned um, a caregiver at night. Well, is that caregiver sleeping? 
or resting mm. or are they fully awake and functioning and doing different things to prepare for the next day that is in your policies and procedures mm-hmm. and um, you have to abide by that we feel that the values of our home are greatly increased by being able to say to our potential residents we're 24 7 we're awake we're attentive mm-hmm. and here to help you okay so in regards to starting a assistant living home. I know Stephanie mentioned it earlier about having that reserve capital. So do you have to have the reserve capital for payroll in advance? And if so, how many months? And then what about reserve capital for repairs and and items such as that? So those are items that you definitely want to put into your calculations. You're going to want to build some kind of a spreadsheet so that you can determine those things. When you're buying the house, you want to look at things like how old is the roof so that you can start saving some money for that. Um, But you're also converting a lot of the house. If, If you're going to buy a bigger house and you're going to make these individual bedrooms, you're going to be doing some of that work right away. So when you're ready to start you shouldn't have a lot of things that need to be fixed along the way, at least for a few years. But you're also, for your operating expenses when you get started, um, you can estimate that it's probably going to take you uh, maybe two to three months to get your first resident. And in fact, I would encourage people to start marketing early. I think that's really important so that you can get residents in there sooner. But it is hard because you cannot bring in a resident until you are fully licensed with the state. Because otherwise that can incur fines, they'll shut you down, and you don't want that. So um, starting your marketing earlier, making sure you build a website, come to the AZ RIA meetings so that you learn all of these things and you can network. And, you know, when you go to the, the AZ RIA meetings, it's great because you find people that have the knowledge or they can refer you to somebody that can provide that support for you really quickly and easily. Do you use the bed filler type companies or do you do your own marketing? You can do both. There's there's marketing out there that's more desirable than going to different websites. I won't mention the names. Placement agencies that okay. help you along the way. Yes. But I wanted to comment just a few more seconds on your operation expenses. So if you have a home that's licensed for 10, you need to build in a vacancy rate like you would if you were investing in multifamily or something like that. So we generally base all of our expenses off of one vacancy. And that way that we have a little bit of coverage there, I would recommend that you have three months of expenses. And that includes mortgage, payroll, operating expenses of any kind, taxes. I would have that in reserves so that you're able to keep your payroll going and, and that. So that's my recommendation is you do have to have some money to get started in this business if you're operating. And, and I would, and I agree with Linda, but I know my husband and I, we were looking more at the six months because what if it takes you three months to get your first resident, that first resident income is not going to quite cover all your expenses. So, and then after that, once you get that first resident, that's the hardest part. Usually after that, then they start coming. For some reason, it's it's a stigma of being the first. A lot of people are afraid. Um, I almost te- I actually resident. suggested to somebody that they could take my 99 year old grandmother to their house for a few days if they wanted to, and they were providing tours because I think if there was somebody already there, they're like, oh, somebody's already here. I have somebody to talk to. There's somebody else that they're caring for. I know they can do this because they're doing it for somebody else. So once you get that first one, I think then they start rolling in. You probably get one a month after that. 
So that's why my husband and I are actually looking at about a six month timeframe for operating expenses, because we just want to make sure that we're covered. Okay. I'm in the process of purchasing a business that's existing. And so I need to make sure even with an existing business that I have my three months, but I can agree, you know, three to six months is really where you need to be. So I have a question on it since you're in regards to purchasing the business, right? So one thing I noticed was some people newer uh, last year going into Airbnb, they would look at a property and say, Hey, I can make more money as an Airbnb, but so they may overpay for the house. So, you know what I mean? Then something happens with Airbnb, COVID, something happens. Now it's like, you got to sell it or revert to a rental, but that rental payment might not cover the mortgage or whatever situation you got yourself into. So how are you looking at the assisted living homes on acquisition, right? Like, are you paying more for the house? Cause you know, you can earn more or how's that process look like? Um, <laughs> as a real estate agent, it is a crazy market out there mm-hmm. and you are, whether you're trying to or not, you're overpaying for a property just because uh, yeah. prices are going up. Yeah. So that's a dilemma right now. But the goal is, is to stay in that middle of the road. Yes, you can have a luxury uh, property or you can have a property that's all Texas, everything in between. That middle of the road is the one that gives you the best income for money spent. So you want it, You want that $500,000 call. That mm-hmm. is because then you're able to buy something that's about 3,000 square feet. You can go larger than that, but your income base is really the best about right there. So let me ask this question. And then once you guys respond, we're going to take another brief break and get our market updates from Azria. But before we do that, do you all do any conversions like garage conversions to maximize the uh, square footage and the footprint of the property? You have to. Okay. Yes, we, you don't have to. We, we, yes, it, it's best. I mean, it, it, for the, the bang for your buck so that you're not having to change the actual infrastructure of the house, it, it's best if you can do that. Then now some cities will not allow that. Mesa hmm. requires that you have at least one covered parking spot. So that might be really? a garage or you'd have to add a carport. Well, if you add a carport, mm, that's going to, you know, make the property not look as yeah. nice. So then you might not be able to bring in as high quality of a resident. So you have to look with the give and take of each city and what the requirements are. So I'm assuming that a three, three car garage would be ideal. Mm-hmm. So you can have the one car garage for the cover parking and the two car you can convert or four car. So I'm having that conversation right now in our home that we actually lease out to an assisted living business. It is a two car garage and both stalls of the garage are converted. So city of Phoenix allowed that. I'm talking to an HOA, talked to him yesterday. It's a three car garage and she is looking into the HOA guidelines to see what they recommend. So I'm going to guess that we can convert two of those three car garages. Okay. So it sounds okay. Like, oh, go ahead. So no, go ahead, uh, Stephanie. So I was going to say, with regards to the three car garage that she was talking about, so you do have to have egress out of each room. So you have to have a way for a resident to get out. So you have to be able gotcha. to put a window. So if you have that three car garage, you can actually keep that middle stall or middle part, have it as storage, and uh, or maybe put in a bathroom in part of that area, your biggie bathroom specifically and then have the two rooms on the outside part of that garage. 
other people that what they have done is they have kept the garage doors there. They put the windows on the side where you're walking up past the house so that they still Mm -hmm. have that egress. And then that way, no one even knows that you've converted the garage. Right. And then what if later on down the road, you decide, hey, this is not for me and you're not able to sell it as um, your 10 bed house. Well, you're still going to have to sell it as a 10 bed, but you could also convert the garage back Back. into a garage. So, Well, that sounds great. So let's take a brief break, hear a word from our Azria affiliate so we can get some information about the market updates and what's going on in Azria. And when we come back, we want to talk about your subgroup because you guys have tons of experience and we want to make sure those that are listening, if they're interested, which everyone should be, need to come to your subgroup so they can get connected. So let's take a brief break and we'll be right back. Thank you. Here's a quick update on Asriel's upcoming events. The Phoenix Real Estate Club is meeting in person on June 22nd. The Fix and Flip subgroup is now meeting in person on June 30th. For more information on these events and to register, visit asriel.org slash calendar. This episode of the Asria Show is brought to you by Asria Business Associate, Zona Law Group. Zona Law Group handles numerous real estate matters with a focus on landlord-tenant law in Arizona. For more information, visit their site at zona.law. All right, so we are back with Stephanie and Linda, and we're talking about assistant living homes. So what we want to do right now is talk about their subgroup because they teach this. They educate people on how to do this. So why go to Google and Google assistant living when you have everything you need, the resources you need, the contacts you need, the attorneys, the accountants, everything right here with Stephanie and Linda. So tell us about your subgroup, kind of the format, what people can learn in that subgroup and where we can find you and the date that you have your group. Stephanie is actually the facilitator. I'm the co-facilitator. So she is so knowledgeable and she has so much information as far as the subgroup. So I'm going to let her kind of take this platform. Okay. Sounds good. We meet on the second Wednesday of the month at six o'clock. Because of COVID, we have been meeting online. We do plan to move back into the on-person or in-person setting, but we'll also allow online starting in September because we normally take the summers off. But we like to, I I try to get one to two presenters or speakers each time. And then depending on the topic, if if a person needs 30 minutes, great. And then maybe somebody else that comes in and needs like 20 minutes or 10 minutes, just to give us some of that knowledge, pique our interest, give us a little bit of that education. After that, I do like to check in with those that are on the call. We always have newbies um, is what I like to call them, the newbies to the group. I want to know where they're from, what they're trying to do, what their background is, because they might have some um, background that's similar to somebody else that's on the call. And then they can then uh, you might call it group together and form that mentor or mentee relationship without even really knowing it or specifically formalizing it. So it's just a great way to get to know everyone. I also like to bring in people that have homes that are part of our group and get updates. So, you know, just to see where they're at, what have they been doing in in order to fill their homes? What is the biggest struggle? Things like that. Because I think that as we're going through this process, we can talk about the theory and what needs to be done, but somebody that's actually doing it at that time and going through the process and going through the frustrations of, you know, what is happening and they can 
relay that to the rest of us so that we can be better prepared for it. So I think that really helps. So then after the two presentations, and then after we try to get an update from somebody that's doing it right now, we also like to do some networking just to find out what are the other members doing? What are the questions? We get a lot of the same questions over and over again, which is perfectly fine. That's what we're there for. But we also want to develop that rapport because we want those that come to these meetings to feel comfortable with reaching out to us at any time. I get calls a lot of times on the weekends. Oh, I'm so new to this. Can you help me understand what this group can do for me and how I can get started? And a lot of times um, people will go to the AZREA meetings in order to kind of see what it's like from an overall perspective, see the number of people that are coming. Is it really something that's moving in the Arizona area? And then, but then they want the kind of that one-on-one coaching or mentoring just so that they can feel comfortable and know that, hey, is this really real? Because that's one of the things. If you're not doing it, how can you speak to it? And that's why it's so important to have speakers and presenters and bringing people in that are doing it so that you can learn from them. So I remember when I was in college and one of the, one of our professors used to always say, there's a huge gap between theory and practice. And that's exactly what you're talking about. It's okay to come to a classroom and learn, but you need to get out there and put that theory, everything that you learned into action, into practice. And by having those operators that come in that have homes already speak directly to them, it does a couple of things. It One, it motivates them you know, those who don't have a home too, it provides them the resources they need, someone that they can go to and and ask questions to, you know, and then three, it lets them know that, hey, if this person is doing it, I can definitely do it. So what steps do I need to follow in order to do it? And that's exactly what you guys provide at your subgroup meeting. And again, sounds like you guys have everything dialed in. So I know me and Mike said that we're going to, you know, make sure we visit all of the subgroups, but I'm, I'm definitely interested in hearing more about your subgroup. So guys, if you're out there and I know you are, you're listening, <laughs> you have to be a part of the subgroup. Tell me again, one more time, Stephanie, when, when you guys meet where and how they can get connected with you. So we meet on the second Wednesday of the month, six o'clock. Right now, we are doing online. You can reach uh, me through the AZREA site, azria.org. There is the calendar there, and you can register for the any of the upcoming meetings. I believe my information might be shared there as well, but you can also reach out to me via email. It's Stephanie, and my name is spelled with an F. I know a lot of people forget that or, or don't realize that, but it's S-T-E-F-A-N-I-E at, and then saw, S-A-W-R-E-I.com. So that's one way to get a hold of me. I'm in Facebook. I'm I'm all over the place. I'm in a lot of Facebook groups just because of the short-term rentals that we're in, but also from an assisted living perspective, it's a great way to learn. I'm also, what else? I don't know how else to get a hold of me. I have a question. So outside of- You cannot overemphasize the value in the network portion of this. Yes, yes. And networking is what I feel is one of the major components to my success. And so you can receive that by coming to this subgroup. I am a real estate agent, so I can help people um, locate homes and go through that process. And I can be reached. My email is realestategirl64 at gmail.com. So 
All right. Any well, questions? We'll, we'll, we'll make sure we have all of that information in the show notes, guys, so you okay. can definitely reach out to Stephanie and Linda. So in regards to like a deal flow and stuff, so I'm assuming you're bu- your buyers right now. Mm-hmm. So, so can our audience, whether they're interested in assisted living or not, wholesalers, can, we, can they reach out to you and bring you properties to analyze? That would be Absolutely. great. And okay, we actually perfect. have that great. already going on within the group. We do awesome. have that comes and, and offers properties typically every month. Mm-hmm. Great. Okay. Awesome. Good to Sounds know. Sounds great. Well, ladies, I definitely want to thank you. I appreciate you being on today, shedding a light on assistant living homes and really providing us with the introduction that, that we need in order to get started. But again, guys, if you want that true information, go and meet Stephanie and Linda in person, pick their brain, find out what you can provide for them. In turn, you guys can build that quality relationship. So if there isn't any other questions, guys, we're going to sign off here. We're so grateful for you having us and we're here to help. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Marcus. Thank Mike. All right. right. Have a great one. Bye. Bye. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Azria Show with your hosts, Marcus Maloney and Mike Delpreet. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you found this information valuable, head over to azria.org and learn more about our community.